Well, good morning, everyone, at 11 a.m. here in Central Daylight Time in the Midwest United States, which is in Wichita, Kansas, and it is a rather nice day. It's been rainy this morning, and uh, that's always good. I never complain about rain in the summertime. And it's also uh, kind of milder temps. Of course, it's going to make it a little humid, but that's okay. I see Craig and Sue joining us. Hey, Craig, good to see you today. Sue, glad you're in. And uh, take some time, get a cup of coffee. We'll begin our study here in a minute or, or your favorite beverage. But uh, we're going to uh, look today at Luke chapter 4. Uh, man, we are thankful for the rain, aren't we, Craig? It's just it's one less time I have to water my yard. And I don't have a well, and it gets expensive trying to water this yard. But I am so thankful for the rain. Thank you, God. I'm thankful for you all that watch every week in Bible study. And, you know, I know everybody can't join in every week right at 11 a.m. And I know others can't stay the whole time. Uh, but, you know, it is videotaped this way. I mean, it's, it's, it's video recorded. Nobody uses tape anymore showing my age there. But it's recorded. And I love that about Facebook Live because it keeps it then. So you can actually, if you've missed any of these Bible studies, you can go back and watch them all. We're in Luke chapter 4 today. We're going to start Luke chapter 4, so we're slowly making our way. We began the Gospel of Luke at kind of the beginning of the quarantine, back at the beginning of April. I think April 2nd was, or April the 9th, I think was the first lesson in Luke. So eh, April, May, June, July, three months to do three chapters. That's, uh, that's okay, I guess. I like to take it slow because I really enjoy uh, just getting into the depth of the Word and, and figuring out what it meant in the original languages, uh, in the Greek, and, and see how does this apply to us today. And, and I just believe there is a lot going on in our world that is, of course, very frustrating to us right now, very concerning to us right now. But I think the Word of God has a lot to say to us, especially today, as we look at the temptations of Jesus. So uh, if you've got your coffee cup today, I'm using, every week I like to use a different cup, uh, Hi, Deanna. Thanks for joining us. This is my Love Box Company cup. I haven't used this one in a long time. Beverly's joining us. Thanks. Uh, Love, Love Box Company is just a fantastic company to work for. I worked for them on the back. It shows all their locations. Uh, they were a Midwest regional type place between Ohio, Kansas, Texas, Arkansas, Oklahoma, uh, Missouri. Box plant making corrugated boxes. And I worked for them for about four years as a salesman. During the time I was actually studying for ministry and, and kind of trying to fulfill that call. So that was back in the mid-90s and uh, really, uh, really loved the company. They were just a Christian company. They have been sold out now to a company, I think, out of Australia. So it's no longer a love box company. What a great place they were. So this morning, my coffee. Mm, mm, mm. That is good. This is donut shop coffee. So it is... Uh, the only thing missing here is a donut. I have the donut shop coffee, but no donut. Hi, Sandra. Thanks for watching. But you know what? I'm not going to complain about not having the donut because when I woke up this morning, uh, our daughter, Brooke, uh, had, had made some uh, incredible, I think her and her boyfriend yesterday made some incredible, shout out to uh, Jonathan and Brooke. Thank you for making these incredible chocolate chip banana muffins. Wow. I love chocolate chip banana muffins, and they were so good with this donut shop coffee. So 
Cheers. It's good to be with you today. I hope you have some some of your favorite beverage with you. And open your Bible to Luke chapter 4. Before we study, I want to uh, invite you to get your prayer cards out. Uh, and if, you, if you're new on today and you don't have one, there is in the photos on Brad Riley Ministries, that's the page you're watching on, under photos, you will find a JPEG of a prayer card. It's called Prayer Before the Study of Scripture. I use this each week, uh, try to, every now and then I forget, uh, but I try to because I just love what it says. This is a prayer that was written like 1,700 years ago. It's ancient. It's, it's uh, St. John Chrysostom prayer, and, and it just talks about what we want to get out of Scripture. So I hope you'll pray it with me if you have it there in front of you. And uh, if you don't have it with you, just listen and let your heart pray along with us because it's a beautiful prayer. Illumine our hearts, O Master, lover of all humanity, with the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand your gospel teachings. Implant deep within us the fear of your blessed commandments, that through them we may conquer all carnal desires and be transformed to live, both thinking and doing the things that are pleasing to you. For you, O Lord, are the light of our souls and bodies. And unto you we give all glory and praise, together with our Father, who is from everlasting and the all-holy, good, and life-creating Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thanks for praying that with me. Uh, I'm hoping this is working by seeing your names. Dennis, good to see you. You know, yesterday something went wrong. I apologize if you tried to check in on my Wednesday night evening prayer and study service at the Udall Methodist Church, which I started the week before uh, because I'm new there. Uh, It's something went wrong. I did a little test and a you know, last week the test worked good, except I forgot to turn the air conditioner off and the sound blower was really fighting with the, the sound. Last night I did a test and it worked, but I forgot to turn the air off again. Went back, shut the air off, and uh, remembered to turn the ceiling fans on. Got everything set, hit go live at 6.30, got up, did my thing. We had a wonderful time of just following a liturgy of evening prayer and reading of scripture and then study of scripture and when I went and it was over and I went to click finish it said oops sorry something went wrong with your broadcast so I have no idea what happened because here I'm looking at the screen and I'm very close to it there I use the camera the other way around because they say it has a better uh, quality of picture and I get a little broader scope of the front of the church so I can't just see if it's working on screen and uh be, be nice if I had a person sitting right there in the pew by it that could click it and make sure everything's working, but I don't have that luxury. But uh, anyway, sorry that didn't record last night. I hope it will Sunday. Last Sunday did, so our Sunday worship service worked great. And so, you know, in these, these virus times, I know that all of a sudden this very week, many churches started back last week, and all of a sudden this week with the mandatory mask wearing, things are changing a little bit again. And I just know a lot of you are extremely frustrated by what's going on. And I'm actually going to speak to that a little bit at the end of this study today. So I hope you can hang in to the end because I think this study actually even speaks to our current situation and what we're going through. So without further ado, let's look at the Gospel of Luke chapter 4. Let's begin at verse 1. 
We're going to look at the first 13 verses. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit for 40 days in the wilderness, tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing in those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it shall be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem, and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will give his angels charge of you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What an incredible passage. A couple of things I want to note for you as we kind of begin to get into this story. Two things that I find really unique about this story. Uh, Joan and Kent, thanks for joining us this morning. Good to see you on here. Two things that are incredibly interesting to me about this story is, number one, it happened in a wilderness setting where Jesus was all alone. So the reason... Luke has it in his gospel is because we know Jesus had to have told this story. He had to have told this story to his disciples. So it's a very personal story. It's, it's, it's a very uh, anguishing story. And Jesus had some very good reasons for sharing it. And so we know that he really experienced it. We know that he really shared it. And that's how it made it into our gospel. Because there were no witnesses other than the devil, of course. And the second thing is, the temptations that Jesus felt here by the devil are temptations, the, the final three that it tells us about. There were 40 days of experience with Jesus in the wilderness, but there are three big temptations that come at the end of the, his time in the wilderness. And those three are, are ones that don't necessarily uh, tempt us in, directly because Jesus had great power. These could only tempt someone with great power. I'm not tempted to turn a rock into bread because I can't. So, you know, some, it's interesting that these are, these are unique. And I think that's, that's the way Satan works. He tempts us in ways that are unique to us because he knows our weakness. And that's, that's going to become obvious as we study. So um, there are some great parallels here. Uh, this this temptation. If you've ever asked yourself, well, why did Jesus have to go into the wilderness to be tempted anyway? I mean, he's God. He just had his baptism. The, the Father had, had spoken from heaven saying, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. People had seen the dove light upon him as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. I mean, this was an amazing event, Jesus' public baptism, and then he immediately goes into the wilderness. 
So uh, if you've ever asked yourself, why did Jesus have to go to the wilderness? Hi, Dwayne. Thanks for joining in today. I've got a good answer for you. A couple of reasons. It's sim- number one, Jesus, need, in his humanity, he needed the time alone to contemplate his mission in life, to contemplate his relationship with his Father. Re- always remember, Jesus in the wilderness is human, just like we're human in our wilderness. And so in that wilderness experience, these temptations are very real. Okay, He's not just... Hey, I'm God. This isn't a problem. No, not at all. It's his humanity being tempted. And and so we're going to look at how that affects his will and the freedom of his will in just a minute. But but I want us to realize too, this is a this is symbolic because it it represents uh, the fulfillment of a couple of things. Moses spent 40 days, the great lawgiver of faith, Moses, you know, the the one who is considered in the Jewish faith the greatest of all men. Moses spent 40 days on the mount with uh, God but in receiving the Ten Commandments and communing with the Almighty and just, you know, again, connecting with God to be prepared for his mission, to go back and deliver the Israelites. So there's a 40-day fasting and, and, and spiritual encounter comparison also. And also, um, this is, and this one I really find fascinating. The Israelites, after they've been delivered by Moses from Egypt, after they've gone through the Red Sea, which can be kind of like a parallel to their baptism, if you will. They are delivered or saved through water and delivered into the promised land uh, after their kind of baptismal experience, if you will, kind of symbolically. And they immediately spend, because of their disobedience, they spend 40 years, not days, but 40 years in the wilderness. And so Jesus, with his 40-day temptation experience, is actually reversing the effects of the Israelites' 40 years. In 40 days, Jesus is reversing the effects. Their effects were that they were extremely disobedient, God still provided for him. He still cared for him. He gave him manna from heaven. He gave him quail. He met every one of their needs, but they were constantly being disobedient and struggling in finding their faith, giving into the temptations of Satan, if you will. And Jesus reverses that because Jesus meets this wilderness experience and he meets it in his humanity without sin. That's the incredible thing. Jesus in his humanity conquers all of these temptations by the power of God without sin. That gives us humans great hope because there is a parallel here. Okay, Now, I'm not saying that you're going to conquer all of your wilderness challenges in life. And really, the, the real parallel here is that all of life is a wilderness. All of life is a wilderness experience for us. And in that wilderness experience, there's some good and there's some bad. All those 40 days weren't bad with Jesus. I'm sure he had some wonderful, sweet times of communion with the Father as well. But like us, you know, he had rough times. And and we, like him, have some very rough times in this wilderness. Hi, Pam. Thanks for joining today. So as we look at the symbolic comparison of the 40 days of Jesus in the wilderness, it's important to note that he reverses the effects of 
the Israelites and their failure in the 40 days. Um, and I think it's interesting that when, when Satan comes to tempt Jesus in these passages, and we see three particular dialogues with Satan and Jesus here, and in each one of those dialogues, Jesus, the scary thing is that Satan actually uses scripture. He knows scripture. Satan knows scripture, and he can use it to try and lead us astray. But what's beautiful is that Jesus, of course, is the scripture. Jesus is the word of God, but in his humanity here in the wilderness, he also knows the scripture. And the scripture that he quotes, he answers Satan's scriptural kind of uh, Satan using scripture to lie to us. Jesus answers that scripture with truth. And the truth that Jesus uses, hi, Cindy, thanks for joining today. The truth he uses is from the book of Deuteronomy. So the wilderness experience story, Deuteronomy chapter 8, is where Jesus pulls these quotes out so that he's answering Satan and uh, his lies. So as we look at it, let's, let's pull a few verses apart here. And let's. Uh, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to be aware of a Greek word because it's an important Greek word, and it's used two different ways in the scripture. And the Greek word is the word for testing or tempting. So when it says in the very beginning here that uh, in verse 1, or verse 2 actually, that for 40 days in the wilderness he was tempted by the devil, that word tempted is the Greek word pirazzo. That sounds Italian to me, you know, <laughs> pirazzo. So it's P-E-I-R-A-Z-O. Pirazzo, as I think it's pronounced, but I butcher my Greek a lot, so forgive me if you're a Greek scholar out there ever watching this. Forgive me. I, I'm not a Greek scholar. I just know how to look up the words, and I, and I do that because their meaning unlocks the key to Scripture. God chose the New Testament, and, and actually the very first language that all of Scripture was really translated into was Greek. The Old Testament version 250 years or so before Christ called the Septuagint was a group of about 70 scholars, Jewish scholars, who, who took all of the old Hebrew scriptures and did a full canon of the Old Testament in Greek, the Septuagint. And then, of course, New Testament. Uh, the first language of its writing was Greek because that was the the language of the world, the language of commerce during the, the days of the Roman Empire. The Romans were never able to replace Greek in the culture. Uh, they tried, but their Latin just couldn't do it. So later on, a few centuries later, the, the church of the Western world of the Roman Empire, the Roman church, of course, used Latin, and Latin became the, the dominant language of the Christian faith in the West, or under the Roman Catholic Church, in other words, and leading on into Protestantism. But Greek was always the primary language of Scripture. So this word, pirazzo, it, it can mean tested, or it can mean tempted. So we're going to look at how that plays out as this Scripture develops. But let's notice this first, the very opening of chapter 4. What do we see? It says, Luke records very carefully that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. He'd just come off of his baptism in which the Spirit came down upon him and rested upon him. The Father had proclaimed him his son. 
and he goes out full. And the Greek word here is pleres, P-L-E-R-E-S, pleres. Pleres means to be not only just full or filled with something, but complete. In other words, there's nothing lacking. It is completely full. So there's a connotation there to the word that says Jesus is, is ecstatically full. He's, he's different now as a human man than he was before he went into his baptism as a human man. He goes into the water as a human being, divine and human. We know that the story of, of Christ having the two natures, divine and human, 100% and 100%, not 50-50. And that means he has a, a divine will and a human will. And he goes into the waters of baptism. He's anointed with the Holy power of the Holy Spirit for his mission. And he comes out full of the Holy Spirit. Luke wants us to be sure and know that. And then he says, so he returns from the Jordan River Valley. And it says he was then led by the Spirit. So, I think there's a parallel for us in our lives. Why do we receive the Holy Spirit? We can talk, if we have more time, about how we receive the Holy Spirit. And the truth isn't there is just one way that we receive the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit in many ways. Sacramentally, of course, there, there is the thought that we, we receive the grace of God. The Holy Spirit is the grace of God at work in us through the sacraments like baptism, Holy Communion, uh, and, and uh, being... Uh, entirely sanctified. Our Wesleyan theology uh, teaches about the experience of being complete, and there's that word playwright, being entirely filled with the Holy Spirit, so that we are ecstatically full. Uh, so, and when that happens, the Holy Spirit is who's leading us. That's, that's the essence of what it means to be entirely sanctified, to devote our entire will to the will of the Father, that in the power of the Holy Spirit, we are led forth into life and all of its wilderness and all of its temptations to meet life in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus is doing here. And out as he goes in the fullness of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, he's tempted. He's tempted and tried and tested. And so it says he ate nothing in those days. 40 days is a long time to eat nothing. Uh, that, I call that a, a supernatural fast. Um, if you know anything about where he was, the wilderness where Jesus is, it, it, it's, it's that southern part of Judea between the Dead Sea and uh, when you get to south of Jerusalem. It's about 30 miles by 15 miles is the, is the size. It's rock, limestone, hills, desert it's called but it's not a desert like we think of with sand it is deserted the the name jeshimon uh, jeshimon i think in hebrew means the devastation or the place of devastation it is it is full of uh, snakes wild animals there's precious little water to drink if any in in, in different places and a lot of uh, heat the heat is overpowering in, in the summertime there. So if you've ever been to the Holy Land, you've been on a trip down through, when you're going down to the Dead Sea, you drive right through it. You go down to places like Masada, and, and you see these unbelievably uh, harsh, jagged rock formations. And it's, it's just a very devastating place to be. 
And that's where Jesus was. That's where the Spirit led him out. Away from all comforts, away from anyone's help, where it's just him and the Father. For 40 days, he eats nothing. We don't have a record of what he was able to drink, but there's probably no water there either. So it's a spirit, it's a supernatural fast. I don't recommend you just going out and trying 40 days with no food and water. I do recommend you going out and fasting, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. Because fasting is a, a component in this whole spiritual life of how we meet the temptations of our wilderness experience. Jesus shows that to us. Jesus teaches that to his disciples later on when he says, when you fast, just like he said, when you pray, Jesus expects his disciples to pray and to fast, to fast and to pray. Those two things go together. And uh, that's something our modern world, uh, especially evangelical Christians, we just do not talk enough about fasting. The church does not organize itself in calling us to times of fasting nearly the way it should, not as the ancient church did, and, and, and a few churches still do. Uh, in fact, the seasons that we have of Lent, the 40 days prior to Easter, that's a direct attempt to replicate this 40-day experience of Jesus so that for 40 days we fast. Again, we're not supernatural, not without all food and water, but without some, so that we learn to... Uh, we learn how to handle these temptations when they come to us. And the first most basic temptation of all is the temptation for food, isn't it? You know, that's where the children of Israel were. They were grumbling and complaining. Where are we going to eat out here in this wilderness? You know, there, there was no meat to be found. There was no way to make bread. They were just really struggling. It was only supposed to take them a few days to get to the promised land, but because of their lack of faith, it took them 40 years. <laughs> so... Uh, let that be a lesson to us about grumbling and complaining uh, because we live in an amazing uh, world today. Talk about a land flowing with milk and honey. Hi, Joy. So glad you're in today with us. Talk about we Americans, we don't realize how good we have it. We are so filled with a plethora of food and drink at our fingertips we waste more than other people in the world even get in a lifetime. And that breaks my heart. I mean, that should call us all to think seriously about our stewardship of the resources of God and what we've been given and what we give and what, how we share it. So uh, come back to the scripture with me. It tells us right there in verse uh, is it two, and he was hungry. So this wasn't an easy thing for him to do because he was God. He was hungry in this wilderness experience. So he was definitely tempted. Now, it, it says in that end of when it says he was hungry, it says that, and when they were ended, he was hungry. That's the end of verse 2. So we know this is near the end of his 40 days. Maybe it's the last day. It doesn't tell us. But it's, he's spent all this time communing. He's undoubtedly had temptations by Satan, but not in a major way. These last three are the major temptations. They come at the end when, when, when supposedly Jesus has been strengthened and he's had this time, incredible time with the Father. He's getting clear in his heart and mind what the mission is and how he's going to face the cross. And the devil comes at him just before he thinks he's got it won and tempts him with these three big temptations. Now, we're going to talk about what these three temptations are. <clears throat> First of all, let's talk about the parallels. 
Jesus is in the wilderness, we're in the wilderness. Okay? We don't have rocks and desert around us, but we're in a wilderness because we are constantly being uh, we are we are constantly being bombarded with things that want to pull us away from our faith. They want to pull us away from time spent in communion with our God. That's our wilderness. And in that wilderness, it's filled with devils. As I was studying for this, I was thinking, I heard the words of Martin Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we shall not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. That's a powerful thought, you know. Martin Luther was, of course, in a wilderness experience. He was trying to reform the church of his day and meeting great resistance, and even under the threat of death, the reformers that had come before him all were killed at the hands of the church leaders. So it was a scary thing that Martin Luther was trying to do. And, and so here we are coming into our wilderness, and, and the first, we'll look at all three of these. The first temptation, what is the first thing that, that the devil tempts Jesus with? The first temptation is this idea, he says, if you are the Son of God, Command this stone to become bread. What's wrong with that? First, the big, you can underline the word if. What is, he, what is Satan doing here? He's trying to plant seeds of doubt in Jesus. He just came out of his baptism 40 days ago, where God declared to everyone, this is my son. And now he's saying, if you're the son. Just like he said to Adam and Eve. And he said to Eve, did God really say, and then he lies and restates what God didn't say, okay? So the devil is the father and master of many lies. And he's lying to Christ here. If you are the son of God, then I know how hungry you are. Just turn the stone into bread. So he's tempting him with the most basic need of our humanity. And that is to eat. If we do not eat, we will eventually starve and eventually die. Now, we can eat a whole lot less than we do, that's for sure. But we think we have to have three square meals a day and snacks in between. And I know there's people with blood sugar issues and you have to be careful. I understand all that. And, and yes, you should be careful. But, but let's not fool ourselves in thinking uh, we, we, we get way more food than we need, quite honestly. And that's, again, part of the, the, the sinful temptation of our culture. But into that, Jesus answers the temptation. He answers the temptation, and he does it by quoting scripture. I love that. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8. Man shall not live by bread alone. That's what God told through Moses. That's what God told them in their wilderness experience. You can go back and read it in Deuteronomy. It's amazing. Man shall not live by bread alone. The, the devil is the father of lies. Um, He's trying to make Jesus even doubt what Jesus knows about himself. One of the greatest teachings of Jesus we find in John chapter uh, chapters 5 and 6. In John chapter 5, we learn that Jesus has one will with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Okay, And what Satan is trying to do is separate that. He's trying to separate his thinking about his, his will 
being united with the Father's will, with the Father God's will. Because Jesus knows who, I mean, Satan knows who Jesus is. Satan knows that he's the Son of God. But he's trying his best to tempt him in a way that will separate him in his union with the Father. And in John chapter 6, we know Jesus teaches about himself. And what he teaches us in that chapter is that he teaches that he is the bread of life. That's the beautiful metaphor. People need bread. They had just had the feeding of the 4,000 or the 5,000, I can't remember which. And, and, and everybody wants more. And Jesus says to them, I'm the bread of life. My flesh is the bread of life. So that's a beautiful chapter, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. It has very beautiful, significant meaning to Holy Communion, the, the Eucharist. You should, you'll never take, uh, if you really study that, and if you want to go back to our earlier podcasts on the Gospel of John that I did, look up John chapter 6 and, and listen to some of those teachings because that you'll never look at Holy Communion the same way again. You will never hold that bread and that cup the same way when you realize Jesus says, my body is, my flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. You look it up in the Greek, it's there. There's no doubt what Jesus meant. Now, so Jesus says there's no doubt what he means here. My father has always said, man shall not live by bread alone. There are some things more important than food. The food, remember when, remember when that one time Jesus said to his disciples, I have food you have no, you know knowledge of, you know. And he, when he came back, I think it was at the woman at the well, and maybe that was in John 4. Uh, they came back, he'd been talking to this woman at the well, and, and they had went to get food, and they come back, and he's not even hungry, because he'd seen what, he'd seen this woman's eyes light up when he, when he looked into her soul and told her who she really was. And how he, he that just did something for him. And he was like, wow, I, I've got food you know nothing of. There are some things that are so spiritually satisfying. They transcend our need for, for physical food. So then immediately the next temptation comes. Make sure I'm not missing something in my notes here because I've got a whole couple of pages full of stuff for you. Um, Yeah, how, I made a note here. It was real important. How did Jesus do it? How did he overcome this temptation? Believe it or not, it was because he had been fasting for 40 days. I mean, he's at the most hungry state. It's the end. But he's also at the most spiritually filled point because he's had this sweet communion with the Father. So in fasting, we give up food, yes, but we replace it with an increase in prayer and time in spent with the Father in meditation and worship, in scripture reading, all of these things. And so he's at the most satisfied point, even though he's at the weakest point, and he's done it through the power of the Holy Spirit enabling him to fast. So we need to remember that about fasting. Okay, so the very next temptation... Um, Ah, yes. Can't, can't go to the next temptation without this. I mentioned this when I talked about uh, in John chapter 5, Jesus had the one will with the Father. Jesus, let us never forget, Jesus has to choose. Okay, we can't look at this experience and say, but he's God. He can quote that scripture to the devil, and he doesn't have to make that choice. No, his human nature is hungry. His human nature is, is in need of food. 
and his human will must make a choice. Just like you and I, every time we're tempted, our human nature must make a choice. And so he does. He makes the choice of the Father to overcome that temptation by the power of the Spirit within him. And that's exactly what we have to do. When we are tempted, we must, by the power of the Spirit that is at work within us, not of our own power, lest any man should boast, but by the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, we must choose to overcome. And God will help us every time. It is the clear teaching of Scripture. Well, it's clear to me anyway. It is a clear teaching of Scripture that we do not have, have to fall to temptation. St. Paul says there is no temptation that is common to man by which God has not made a way of escape. We do not have to sin. And we do to varying degrees because of our weakness. And I don't want to beat you up for that. I don't want you to beat yourself up for that. I want you to get back up. I want you to repent of your sin. I want you to turn to the to the Father. And, and I want you to ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to go on. Okay? And not live defeated. That's a lie of Satan. That we, oh, you've failed so many times. God doesn't care about you. He just, that's a lie of Satan. Jesus taught us it doesn't matter how many times we fail. God will always forgive. Always. Okay? Remember that. Now, second temptation. Second temptation is this idea for power and authority. It says, In a moment he was taken up and shown all the kingdoms of the world. More than likely, this is a this is a spiritual... I mean, these are... Satan is, of course, a spiritual being. This is some kind of way that taken up. He's somehow, in, in, whether it's in his mind's eye or they're literally lifted up in the heavens, it doesn't matter to us. The point is, 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 is he sees in the spiritual realm all the kingdoms of the world. And Satan says, verse 6, to you I will give. As if they're here, as if they're his to give. I mean, really. But you see, Satan thinks they are his to give. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, and I've got it here, so I'll just read it to you. Satan, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, St. Paul's talking about the faithful, Paul's his own faithfulness to the gospel, and he's talking about that some people don't hear the gospel because their eyes are veiled, like the Jews could not hear the gospel because their, their hearts and their, their eyes were veiled. He says, but even if our gospel is veiled, this is verse 3, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. He's talking of Satan. And it says God with a little g. Okay, Satan is the God of this age. How did he become the God of this age? I mean, God is the God of all the world. God is the God of creation. Christ is the creator. How did this happen? Well, go back to the garden. Who were the first little gods, little g gods of this world? Adam and Eve. Creation was handed to them. They were put in it. They were formed and put in it. And it was theirs to live and to enjoy and to maintain. But through deceit from Satan, they fell from grace. They made Satan their god of this age little g, by disobeying the God, big G, their father. So, 
Satan is the god of this age, and he does have power in this world, and he has many, many, many helpers, minions, if you will, spiritual beings. Scripture teaches that when Satan was cast out of heaven, a third of the angelic beings fell with him. So he had power, he had influence. He was once known as, as, a, uh, as a darling of heaven, if you will, in, in many ways. He was, uh, Scripture describes him as having been beautiful, Lucifer. Uh, the leader of worship in heaven at one time, until he, through his own freedom of the will, angelic beings have freedom of the will, just like human beings, he chose to rebel against God, to think that he could be God. And of course was cast out, a third of the angels with him. And whatever that number is, we have no idea, but it's a huge number. Okay, the angelic hosts of heaven, ah, who could know how many there are? But it, it, it's, it's uncountable. So whatever a third of uncountable is, it's huge. So as we look at this world, we hear Martin Luther's words again, and though this world with devils, period, devils filled, should threaten to undo us. This world is filled with devils, not just one named Satan or Lucifer, but many of his, his uh, counterparts, his, his helpers. So but it says we shall not live in fear. Martin Luther goes on to say we shall not live in fear. That's quoted so many times in scripture, even though there's so many temptations around us. Because why? Because God has willed his truth to triumph through us. Never forget that. And so in this, the Greek language becomes really important here too, because it's very emphatic the way it's phrased in the Greek. In the Greek, it puts the word you, the pronoun you, emphatically right up front of the sentence. To you, as if Satan's trying to tell Jesus, you're a big deal. You know you're a big deal, and you could be king of all this. He's already king, but it's the stupidity of Satan and the way he operates, really. Um, but he's, he's trying to save him. What, is, what has Jesus been tempted with for 40 days? What has he been hearing and learning from his father? The cross. He's headed to the cross. There's no escape from the cross. It's going to be agony. And Satan's trying to offer him a way out of the cross. That's got to be tempting. But no, no, he will not give in to that temptation. And so God proves himself to be the victor through us in our trials. We must remain faithful, no matter what the temptation for power and authority is. Uh, the third temptation. Do we have time? Yeah, getting getting short on time. Uh, the third temptation. It says Satan. It tells us uh, here that, uh, of course, what does he have to do before I leave the second temptation? In order to have Satan grant his request, he has to worship him. And the word there, proskinesis, uh, proskinesis, and I don't have the spelling for that one for you. That 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 to worship it means to literally fall down. If you'll fall down before me. And worship me, Satan says, I'll give you all of this. So uh, let us always remember a little word study for you there. Worship, and I'm, I'm just going to throw this plug in because we need to learn this. And I don't care if you worship, you know, everybody worship, many people worship differently, and that's okay. You know, I'm pastor and leading a church in a Methodist congregation now, and we're, we're doing a very sacred divine liturgy of the word and the table and and we're, it's, it's, a, it's a very, it's worshiping the Lord in, 
in the beauty and majesty of, of sacred space, okay? Uh, so it doesn't look like this modern, contemporary, you know, dark room with bright lights and loud music. I, I'm not putting that down. I'm just saying there's difference for everyone, okay? But the main thing, whichever one you're in, okay, and if one doesn't fit you, find the one that does. But you need to make sure that you are truly, what that word says, worshiping God, not just watching God. When you go to church, make sure your heart, your spirit is bowed down to God Almighty. Don't be a spectator. One of the reasons I like to see some liturgy woven into any service, I like to see the people participating in praying, is because it draws us into actively bowing down and Sometimes modern worship can have a tendency to leave us as a spectator if we're not careful. I'm not saying it has to, but I'm saying we have to guard against that. So, worship. Jesus would not worship Satan, but he would bow down to his Father. We must do the same. Now, third temptation. It says he took him to a high place on the temple. Probably, you know, the temple was not like this huge skyscraper that he would just... Uh, you know, I don't want to fall off the top of the temple, but probably on the south corner of the temple, there was a high point that would look over the Kidron Valley at not too far away as the Kidron Valley. So that the, the slope is quite down, downward. And it would make you a little, a little woozy to be up there. Uh, certainly would me. Um, so that's probably where he is. Takes him to the temple. Okay, again, that's a symbolic being on top of God's very throne on earth, if you will. And, uh, and, he, and he says, uh, at this point, he says, throw yourself down. And then he quotes scripture again. The Satan is quoting directly from Psalm 91. When Satan says to him here, you, uh, he says, <clears throat> to throw yourself down from here, he says, quote, he will give his angels charge of you, this verse 10, to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. That's directly from Psalm 91. And but, but what Satan's missing is the context of Psalm 91. The context of Psalm 91 isn't this generic promise of God that we can take advantage of anytime we want, that we can just presume upon the grace of God, hey, we can do whatever we want because God's going to not let us get hurt. That, that's not it at all. Psalm 91 talks about worship, and it talks about bowing down. And it talks about obedience. And it's in that protection under the wings of, of the Almighty that we find such protection. So next time you read Psalm 91, remember the context. It's a beautiful, beautiful, uh, prayerful psalm about worship and about the, the love of God and about his holding on to us in, in difficult times. So Jesus answers Satan again with uh, Scripture. And this time from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. He says, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. little bit of play on words. I see Jonathan has joined us. Jonathan Sparks, thanks for joining us today. I appreciate having you on study with us. This is an important shift. This, again, the subtleness of the Greek language here. 
Earlier it was parazo, meaning tempted or tested. Here Jesus answers with Deuteronomy 6.16, and the Greek word here is ek parazo. The ek added in front of it, ek parazo. And what does that mean? But it means to be intensely tested. Okay, thoroughly tested. What is he saying? Don't thoroughly test the Lord your God. That's what it said in Deuteronomy. Jesus is repeating it. Do not think that you can come and just thoroughly test the Lord your God. Now, there are other places in Scripture where we know that, you know, it says taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, in some sense to try and try out the Lord. He is good. Test him and see in that sense. But don't think that you can put him to the test as so to take advantage of him and make him prove his love for you. That's not going to happen. Okay, that's not supposed to happen. And that's what Jesus is saying. Don't do that, Satan. And he's saying it to us as well. So we don't take it. We don't take God's grace for granted. We don't want to test him in such a way as to make him prove himself to us. We can't say, I'm not going to believe in you if you won't prove yourself to me. And, and now I want to come full circle, okay? I, I want to come full circle. It says in the last verse, And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Hi, Chip. Thanks for joining us. The devil left him then until an opportune time. Now, we know that opportune time is going to be when he has Judas, right, where he wants him, and he talks and tempts Judas into betraying Jesus that last-ditch effort before the cross. But for now, Jesus has won. Jesus has stood. We know he's always won, so I don't want to leave it saying for now. But at this moment in the story, Jesus leaves the wilderness a victor, okay? And Satan goes away looking for another opportunity down the road. I want us to think about the world we're living in today. This is a difficult time. I, I wish I could just sit here and prophetically announce to you when this whole coronavirus nightmare is going to end and how it's going to end. But you know what? I can't do that. And I am not a prophet. And I don't want to be a prophet. But I am a preacher. And I do want to remind you of the truths of God. And let me remind you of a few things. That while this is difficult... And, and a little scary. People have endured much worse than just having to put on a mask. Now, I hate putting on those masks. But I will. Out of love for others, especially the elderly that I minister to at the church where I'm at, I'm, I'm not going to take a chance of getting them sick if I'm a carrier, and I don't know that I am, okay? But, but let's just say, I, I, and I know there are many people that are clamoring, oh, the government's trying to control our lives. Maybe they are. Maybe they are. I don't think it's a diabolical plot. I think that some diabolical people are trying to take advantage of the situation. But no, this coronavirus is not a diabolical plot hatched in some government back room. I really don't believe that. I do believe it's real. And there's real harm that can be done through it. People have died. I don't think it's going to turn out to be as bad as they thought it was in the beginning. But if you're the one for whom some loved one has died, it's pretty bad for you, isn't it? So then, as was pointed out to me by a, 
a dear brother who's a doctor, a physician, said, you know, if it was your wife that died of this virus, you'd think differently about that mask, wouldn't you? Because I was vulnerable. I was talking to him, and I just said, you know what? Do I have to do this? Why do I have to do this? And he reminded me some really powerful things about, we're so tempted. Let's listen. Christians right now are being tempted by Satan to stand up for their rights, these American God-given Bill of Rights, and I'm not negating that. I think it's a beautiful thing. I'm thrilled to live in America that has a Constitution and a Bill of Rights. But as Christ followers, that's not our document we have to stand on. Because Scripture teaches us to obey our governments. And that means even governments we don't like. You don't believe me? Go read Romans chapter 13. It's all through Scripture. There was no Bill of Rights in Jesus' day. When the church was founded, the church was totally illegal. It took 300 years before they made the inroads in society to be able to worship in freedom. And in those 300 years, many of those pockets of time were filled with great persecution and martyrdom. So who are we to stand here and say, well, you know, this is all going to work out. It's all going to be fine. It's all going to go away and, and everything's going to be fine. Well, no, that should be our prayer. But it's not our promise. Okay, what stands between this time of testing? I, I believe we're being tested. I believe the church of Jesus Christ and Jesus' followers are being, well, that's the same, his followers are his church, are being tested in a way that is so serious. Are we going to take the high road? Are we going to love God with all our heart and love everyone else the same? Are we going to put a mask on when we have to? Are we going to endure for a while that which really isn't that hard to endure? And are we going to pray for deliverance? That's what everyone does in time of, that's what everyone should do in time of temptation. Pray for deliverance. Because John Wesley, and I'm a Wesleyan minister, I love the teachings of John Wesley. I, I think he was brilliant. I think he discovered, uh, rediscovered, sorry, I think he rediscovered life in the Holy Spirit for Western Christianity that had been missing for quite some time. And in his teachings, I, 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 I hear him saying often about prayer, God, he said, I believe God does nothing but in answer to prayer. Think about that. You want God to deliver us from this virus? Better start praying about it. Because prayer is what moves the hand of God. I put a video on Monday. You could write below this one somewhere. Go watch it, if you will. It's just, a, it's just on prayer. Some thoughts on prayer. Pastor Jenny Bradley, a friend through our daughter Brooke at Central Community Church and the ministry there just kind of challenged me, encouraged me, said she'd asked people, said, what, you know, what is there that you could talk about for 30 minutes and you don't even have to go prepare for? What is it you're so passionate about? You could talk about it for 30 minutes, don't have to go prepare for. And, and she was just, this is just a post, you know, starting a dialogue. And I put on there, I said, the importance of prayer. And she came back and said, you know, I don't think I've heard you talk about that. Why don't you do that? So Monday afternoon, I sat down in my office and I just hit the record button and I just talked about prayer. I was going to try and talk for 30 minutes. I think I actually talked for 52 or something like that because I didn't have my watch on. And when this is recording, I can't see the clock on. 
but I want you to listen to it because I want you to get, I don't have time to go over it all here for you. I want you to get how important prayer is. And in there, I reveal, I titled it, The Real Reason You Never Knew Why Prayer Was So Important. And there's a real reason that we've never been taught. I was finally taught it, and it's made all the difference in my life and how I look at prayer and how I understand prayer is our co-laboring with God to form and shape our world. You want the world to get better? Pray. God's people need to pray. And it's sad to say it, but you want you want to call you want to call people to prayer, call a prayer meeting at the church, and it's the least well-attended service or meeting. That's pathetic. And I'm sounding a little harsh. I'm sorry, but this riles me up. Why don't we want to pray? Well, the reason we don't want to pray is because we don't understand it. And if we don't, if you don't know it, then it's not your fault. That, that the definition of not knowing something is we're ignorant about it. Okay, it's not your fault. I'm not mad at you for not knowing it. I just want you to to listen. And it's not my genius. I learned it all from others. I give credit to them in the video. I've studied prayer now for years and years and years from a lot of, I mean, from every perspective, Catholics and Orthodox and, and uh, Reformed. I've, I've, I've read the thinkers all on prayer. And so I share some of that with you. And uh, wow, well, we've gone over a lot today, haven't we? It is, oh wow, I've only got three minutes before noon. Thank you for joining me. Um, God bless you. Thank you for coming here each week and uh, being a part of this study in the Gospel of Luke. Let's, let's continue to be students of the Word and be formed in our spirit. Let the Holy Spirit be formed within us. Let me pray for you as we close this time today. Father in heaven, I pray for each one on this video today and who will ever see it anywhere in the world. Father God, bless them in this moment. Bless them in the moment they see it. Help them to to feel your presence, to know that you are with them, and to know that you have a plan for their lives. Teach them the depth of the, of the spiritual life. Draw them in deeper and deeper into it. Lead us to be full of the Holy Spirit as you did your son Jesus. And Father, watch over us. Keep us safe. Protect us from this virus. Protect those who are ill and sick right now. Heal those who are sick. Comfort those who have died. Bless those and comfort those who mourn and help us to mourn with them. And Father, help us, lead us, guide us in this, this incredibly free nation that you have gifted us to be born in called the United States of America. Teach us wisdom and let us attend to the ways of your ways. So I ask this now in the strong name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit, as one God forever and ever and unto the ages of ages. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day out there. So glad you're with us. Thanks, Craig. Appreciate you being on here.